Since we had ketchup and mustard and buns, along with cans of Coke to wash it all down, it was the most normal meal I had eaten in days. Picnicking by, by the lake made it seem like a holiday. There were no kids laughing and splashing the water, no parents calling out to their kids for splashing too much, no sounds of music, the hum of engines, or anything mechanical. The more I listened, the more I realized I couldn't even hear any birds singing or chirping, not even the splashing in the, not even the splashing of ducks in the water, only silence. I looked to Finn McCool as my barometer. He was last to finish his meal of hot dogs and hamburgers since, it turns out, he really doesn't like his food hot. Not at all. I let a hot dog cool and tossed it to him after I ate mine, but he dropped it into the grass and stood over it for a while before finally wolfing it down with the toss of his head. Finn was sitting on his haunches, which made his head come up my chest, scanning all around, lifting his head from time to time before dropping it again, only to repeat the process. I couldn't say for sure what he was up to, but I'd seen wild animals on TV and read enough about dogs to know he was scenting the air, gathering information I couldn't. I figured he would let me know of any imminent threat, but I also decided not to put too much trust in the dog's judgment about possible getaway options and how much time we would need to stow our supplies back in the car. He got up and took a few big steps away from us where he, would, he could be farther upwind of the charcoal smoke, then went back to smelling the air and looking around. Vaguely, I heard Xavier and Maxine walking, talking about school, but I returned my conversation to my observation of Finn McCool, who seemed to be growing more tense by the moment. Was it my imagination, or was the fur along his spine rising? A chill passed over me as goosebumps rose, suddenly remembering how I hated the midnight watches I had been on the last few nights. But it was broad daylight, I reminded myself. Then it happened. Finn began a low growl as he turned away from the lake and stared up toward the road. Xavier and Max continued their heated discussions, something about advanced placement tests, but I was looking toward the road, my ears picking up on a low hum. Guys, I said through gritted teeth, turning around to face them, something's coming. Pointing toward the road, I said, let's sneak up to the roadside and have a look. Saber nodded and, clear thinking as always, scooped up piles of sand and dirt, dump, dumping, dumped it onto the smoking charcoal, making the fire and smoke disappear like a magic trick. Had he used water, which would have been my first reaction, we would have created a smoke signal seen for miles around. We headed further along through the picnic area, away from the entrance to the park and climbed up through all through tall grass and brambles until we came to the ancient cable barrier and snaked around the road's shoulders because modern gutter nails hadn't been installed. As if on a signal, we raised our hand, our heads and peeked out like frightened little kids, trying to see what our ears and the hair on the back of our necks were trying to tell us was coming. Beside me, Finn had laid himself down in the brush, his front legs out, his head on his forepaws. It looked funny because we were on a steep bank, Finn looked like he was sort of standing up, only he was trying to stay low and out of sight. Above the growing hum of heavy wheels and powerful engines, I could hear Finn whining softly. Resigned to being there so close to danger, I think he knew it was coming. didn't even want to look at it. He knew it was big and bad and had better sense than to check it out for himself and risk being detected. Animals are smarter that way. I don't, th I don't think they give in to curiosity too often. They fight or flee, but they don't go around poking... When they don't need to, when they don't need to, not Finn anyway. He was staying for my sake. Otherwise, he would have been gone. I was sure of that. I wished I had his courage and faithfulness. Tumbling to learn from a dog. Then it was upon us, as if dropped like a whirlwind from the sky. A military convoy, huge five-ton trucks hauling big crates in the back, but no troops except the two in each cab. One at the wheel, and his alpha driver riding beside him. I started counting and got to twenty-four trucks all hauling hulking square boxes under the green canopy. 
visible above the tailgate. I saw black stenciled letters on the boxes, but I couldn't make out any words at all. Troop carries came next, all loaded up with men in the back. I stared for a while before I counted 20 more five-ton trucks. I was afraid they'd spot us from where they were sitting, high up on the massive trucks, but not one of them even looked out. Instead, they sat looking directly at each other, stony-faced and expressionless. After the trucks came the Humvees, lip antennas sticking out of some mountain grenade launcher or 50 caliber machine guns on the others, maybe a dozen or more of these. The men sat closer to the ground in the Humvees, and I never got a good look at any of them. With the final blast of air, the last Humvee passed, and it got real quiet, so fast my ears heard in the vacuum of silence. I was pushing off from the ground, feeling like I wanted to stretch the way I do after I've been real nervous. The Maxine grabbed me and yanked me back down. A blade of grass went into my nose and it pissed me off, reminding me of her little joke with the electric door and how badly she had shocked me. I looked over at Xavier, who shook his head at me, keeping flat to the ground. Let the sky fall. I was having nothing of their caution. I shook off Maxine's hand and raised myself up onto my knees to the high-pitched whine of an altogether different engine, more like a jet than a cart or truck. In a flash, it passed, familiar in its, flat, in its flat black paint. I didn't have to think too long because I had just driven it in silver counterpart, a modified Monte Carlo full of technology I had only seen in the movies. For a second, the whine of the engine dropped like it was slowing down, but it picked up speed again. It was gone around the bend, leaving us again in silence. Stay down next time, Maxine said, glaring at me before getting to her feet and turning in her head, her dark hair flipping to the side as she jogged down the bank toward the parking lot. I looked over at Xavier, who was wearing some kind of righteous look on his face, all patient and knowing. She's right, he said. I tried to tell you something else was coming, but he didn't listen. He could have gotten us killed. Then he turned and followed Max into the parking lot. I looked over at Finn sitting next to me awkwardly on the steep bank. I half expected him to tell me off with some nugget of wisdom, but he only opened his mouth and panted, his long pink tongue hanging out the side. You just watch my back and keep your mouth shut, don't you, boy? I said, scratching his head. We ran down the hill into the parking lot, veering off toward the lake instead of up the hill towards our picnic spot. I needed a minute to process everything. How they both knew about the oncoming car, which just so happened to be an exact replica of the one we had been driving. Black instead of silver. Finn the cool drink from the lake with his paws in the water, but only briefly before looking up at me, ready to move on. I was ready to confront Maxine and Xavier once and for all for not telling me what they knew about this new world we were living in. I showed up to the picnic area where I saw them loading up the car. Clearly, we were no longer staying here tonight, Hey, I yelled. I'd appreciate both of you telling me whatever it is you've decided to keep from me. Maxine was further away, but Xavier was walking back to me, having just packed the cooler in the car. Without breaking a stride, he told me in a voice barely above a whisper, Not now, Odysseus. I'll tell you later. You have to trust me. Then in a louder voice, he said, Tell me what you want to know. Flustered, I figured I would play along since he had never given me any reason to doubt him, while Max was a different story. For starters... How'd you know that car was coming? And how is it someone else happens to have a tricked out 87 Monte Carlo like ours? Don't tell me they're selling them at the Chevy dealer now. Maxine came towards us, a little smirk on her face. You don't miss much, mighty Odysseus. So tell me, I demanded. You're either changed or unchanged, Max said. I waited, but she looked back at me as if she told me everything. Now you're a sphinx, I asked in my most sarcastic voice. Tell me what's going on. It could be the difference between living and dying. She took a deep breath as color drained from her face. Okay, Yuli, here's the thing. All those roving mobs of freaks are the changed. Those soldiers who just passed by, she said, jerking her head toward the road, 
They're also the changed. Where? Unchanged. The soldiers look stiff, even for trained soldiers, but they look nothing like the lo lunatic mobs trying to kill us. We don't have time to get into that right now, Maxine said, heading back to the car. Fine, I replied, and tell me how you, you knew a car just like your own was coming down the road. Because I heard it, Yuli, and I expected it. I blurted out, but how did you? Because my dad told me about it, she said, cutting me off.